welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, Isa shares her journey to healing after 13 years of having an eating disorder and moving through the difficulty of depression. Together, we talk about the power of the plant medicine ayahuasca, holding on to hope when you're in a dark place, and our spiritual connection to Mother Nature. Y'all, Isa really brings an honest and vulnerable presence to our conversation today that I think so many listeners are going to resonate with just that journey from a dark place to finding hope again. So thank you, Isa. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Y'all, tune in. So you were beginning to tell me about why you feel good. You were nervous, so I did want to, like, check in, too. Thanks. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I'm like... Why am I nervous about this? I literally, I talk, I present on the phone all day long. It's totally, but I mean, this is this, like, it doesn't feel like fear. It just feels bigger. It feels like there's a bigger responsibility of Mm -hmm. doing this than other things that I might talk or, or present about. What do you think that responsibility is? Um... Great question. You might be. I mean, I feel like it's because I needed this change. You know, mm-hmm. I this change that is happening in the eating disorder space. Mm-hmm. I needed this ten years ago, right? Fifteen years ago, actually. And we're starting to see shifts, and there are people who are pioneering the space, and I am a very small part of of this change and it's just needed we're in a mental health crisis and we're also in a in a crisis of women with eating disorder struggles and it's not an individual problem before we get too deep into what you actually do could you tell us just briefly about yourself who you are as a person Mm, yeah well my name is isa and Mm -hmm. i live in boulder colorado and I've, I fell in love with Colorado years ago. Um, I am a total mountain woman. I love hiking mountains. I love hiking them and then skiing down them. And I also happened to uh, struggle with an eating disorder for 15 years of my life, which was more than half of, yeah, it was a, it was a large part of my life and tried various different avenues for recovery, none of which mm-hmm. were all too successful for me. And then in October of last year, I sat with a plant medicine from the Amazon jungle called ayahuasca. And in sitting in this plant medicine ceremony, I literally let go of my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And from then until this point now, my life has catapulted forward in more ways than I ever could have imagined. And through the integration, which is a common term in the world of psychedelics, of integrating our experiences into our reality world, you know, I have found this path of almost having the opportunity to start over fresh and new Mm -hmm. of how do I get to live in the world now without an eating disorder and get to decide that and get to find that and get to be in that in my body. Yeah, that that is a that's a big part of of what I'm doing now. If you're willing, I would love to learn more about what that time was like for you. Mm. Also open to recognizing that might be too personal and not sure what level you feel of diving into the specifics. Yeah, of of the 15 years of having an eating disorder. Yes, there is a lot to talk about there that could, you know, lead into why you are so passionate about this topic. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that question. I'd I'd be happy to answer it. And it's actually nice to kind of to revisit and remember that, you know, it's important to not forget about actually the growth that we've seen and where we've come from. Yeah, you know, my, yeah, (laughs) 
It's a lot. One, um, one thing that is now being talked about in eating disorder recovery and which was very instrumental in my healing is looking at trauma. This is kind of referred to as, as a, a little T or a capital T, mm-hmm. right? And a little T trauma is when we're looking at these small emotional developmental things that kind of just gnaw at you over time. Whereas a big T trauma might be a car accident, a sexual abuse incident, something mm-hmm. something that like that. So I actually would prefer to not go into too many of the, the specifics of kind of how this like immediately kickstarted for me. But it started when I was about 11, 12 and began with anorexia and really just, you know, finding an escape in something that I thought would help me to or I felt would, you know, maybe help me to receive the love that I really wanted. And the interesting thing with eating disorders is they can just, they are an adaptive mechanism. And it was at that point in time for me, when I was 11, 12, you know, it was an out. It was a numbing mechanism that helped me because I didn't know how to be with the pain of what I was actually feeling at that time. But what we learned then is, 15 years later, it's not even close to being helpful anymore. Actually, it's just only detrimental. So in that time, my eating disorder took many different shapes and forms. Mm -hmm. There were times when it looked more like binge eating disorder. There were times when it looked more like bulimia. That was kind of the consistent one over all of the years. There were times when it became very restrictive again. And in all of that, it now feels like it was just living this like further from the core of, of the real me than now. And, and in that time, you know, it's, I also had great things going on. It's not like, you know, someone could look at me and say, oh man, she's probably a slave to this, but that is what was happening internally. You don't need to be a certain thinness. You don't need to be a certain overweightness, whatever, to have an eating disorder. These are silent and deadly right now. And it definitely was for me. I had good jobs. I lived all over the world. I had friends, but it wasn't actually the juice. Like, it, you know, the nectar of, of life that feels so beautiful when we're actually fully present. It mm. started when I was so young. So it was mm. almost like I didn't even know anything different. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and... For a really long period of time, I thought that I would probably just always have an eating disorder. And that's also what people are told in eating disorder recovery. There are terrible statistics right now about what percentage of people recover when they get treatment for an eating disorder. It's so low. You just figure if any person on the outside of this looked at the situation and would say, maybe something needs to change if it's working this not well. (laughs) right and psychedelics are now being looked at that way they are a toolkit that we get to lean on and so this is how you came to the work that you do but i feel like we're still missing like millions of little stones of this journey of who you are and how this you know 15 years led into what you do now Mm, mm, mm -hmm. one other thing i want to mention what i do now also i am a part of a mission driven organization and you spoke with my colleague on your podcast jazz we are building a platform to help psychedelic practitioners track and measure and illustrate the work that they're doing so this is a bit separate from my eating disorder specifically, but it really all ties together because the mission of Maya and what we're doing is to help demonstrate, to help on the ground practitioners become their own researchers Mm -hmm. and to better understand how we can work with psychedelic medicines. Mm -hmm. And so being a part of that mission is what I do for some of the time, for sure. Most of the time, actually, it's uh, what I do a lot. Being involved in the psychedelic space in that way is is also really helpful for what what is now happening in other parts of my world. But I mean, yeah, it is all related at the end of the day about bringing awareness to the power of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. With Maya, we need data for wider mass acceptance. Mm -hmm. And the origin of Maya really came from a place of that, of um, utilizing research methods so that practitioners who are working on the ground 
could have access to that kind of tool to demonstrate the work that they're doing with their clients. You know, the plant medicine ceremonies that I have sat in, personal life, none of them have been tracked like I was in a research study. Like, okay, here you were before you came into this and here you were afterwards. And that's the kind of data that we need from practices that are on the ground right now doing this work so that so that we can have wider mass acceptance. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because if we don't have the data, no one's going to listen to us. Understandable. So thank you for the work that you are doing to change society. We should take a level of, you know, acknowledgement that that is difficult work with a ton of stigma and that you are making a brighter future just in and of that. Mm. And this other piece. Mm, mm. And it's exciting that, you know, you can have a space where you can talk about both of them. Mm -hmm. This is interesting, though, because you said that your specific experience was in 2020. Mm -hmm. That's recent. Mm -hmm. That was my experience with my eating disorder. I've also been in, involved with Maya for, for longer mm -hmm. than that. And psychedelics have, have been a part of my life for longer, actually, than than the experience with ayahuasca that really, really changed things for me. Like many people, I had a stigma around psychedelics for years, actually. And I've lived in Colorado and I've known about them, but I held them as drugs in my mind, you know, and this is a big part of the conversation now. What is a drug? What is a medicine? Yet at the same time, I had had some of still the most powerful experiences of my life sitting in reverence with psychedelic medicines. All of those contributed to me being connected with Maya and and then the ayahuasca mm. experience is what has really catapulted the work with mm. eating disorders. Could you tell me more about your journey and connection to psychedelics? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned coming from a stigma to now working. I mean, that's a journey there. What evolutions were you going through? What changes did you and lessons did you encounter in that process? Mm, mm -hmm. So the one that had also made probably the biggest impact before the ayahuasca experience was in 2019. I had dealt with depression before. Often depression and eating disorders can go hand in hand because they, they are both isolating in many ways mm -hmm. and also just not feeding and nourishing your body correctly doesn't really do any things for your any good things for your brain working happily in your gut. Okay. So in 2019 I reached a what was the most severe depression that I had ever had. It was a suicidal depression that wow. was very challenging and I changed my environment. I moved back to a state that I love, Colorado. And I was kind of doing all the right things to work on my depression and make things better. I was reading, I was meditating, I was spending time in nature, I was laughing with friends. I mean, I was actually in like kind of an ideal environment. This was right when lockdown happened, if you're kind of tracking things. And I, I got to be out in the middle of the woods with friends. And so I was doing all of these right things and they were kind of like an inch forward on, on coming out of depression. Then I had a psychedelic experience that literally in a single day felt like I shook off this depression. Wow. What had become this world of black and white, all of a sudden I got to see in color again. And I got to feel what it felt like to feel alive again and laugh so hard till I was crying. And then I was crying so hard that I was laughing. Ugh. In reflecting on this the following day, after being so close to, you know, this really deep, dark place, it wasn't a long time period between these two, mm -hmm. that I just realized how are we living in this world without, with this kind of toolkit that's available and yeah. this many people who are struggling? Right. This doesn't match up at all. Yeah. And I want to be a part of the mission of changing that. Mm-hmm. Of course. I'm, I'm curious, what, what, is, what are your experiences with psychedelics? <laughs> <laughs> I obviously had a perspective that all drugs are bad. Raised Christian, this same sort of, you know, whatever dare arrow we probably were both raised in. And so I never did anything truly at all until college once I started stripping away my Christianity. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll try drugs. And even then I was like, am I going to lose my mind? Like I'm a naturally anxious person. But then I did psychedelics and it was such a beautiful moment of just connectivity with people, 
Um, and ever since then, I've really just like fallen in love with how present they make me feel. Funny, I actually recorded with a lesbian bishop and they were talking about connecting to God and, and I like was like, so what about psychedelics? And they were like, no. And I was like, yes, though. <laughs> like, I feel most connected spiritually when you take psychedelics and you feel present. And I never thought I'd be arguing with a bishop about that. But platform, here I am. So I don't, what's my relationship? I enjoy them. I think they are magical openings to our minds and to specifically to our like habits. I can see my anxiety like manifest itself much faster and I can be more conscious of it and take it into my day to day. And I think that's invaluable. And just to get like a reset on your perspective. Yeah. So that's how, that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at all those good things. Like those are amazing things. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing tool. Even if you're not that sick, you know, Uh that's, that's the amazing thing that like they can help people who are really sick and really need it. And they also Mm -hmm. can help people who are well and also still want to improve. I know, but obviously we're in a society where that's not going to happen, you know, until we get enough research, like what you're doing to change. Cause I think a lot of people are coming to socially accept it. It's just like, when are we going to see the mass governmental change? That is going to be allowing for this. There was some stuff passed though recently. There's been some stuff passed. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting closer. We're getting closer. Ketamine is the legal yeah. psychedelic compound in the United States right now. That, right. you know, there are a couple sides of that about if it's considered fully really a, a psychedelic. And okay. I, and I do think that like sharing stories, you know, people talk about coming out of the psychedelic closet. Mm-hmm. That's important sharing about how they have affected our lives and sometimes that can be scary and it it is going against the norm right like this is shifting from a drug to a medicine I can't tell you the number of people who have asked me about my experiences and what those are like because because I'm someone who they feel comfortable with or they're Mm -hmm. curious or I've mentioned it in some place You know, the more that we can bring it into conversation and normalize. And I mean, if we really get back to it about original psychedelics, these come from the earth. It's just, um, yeah, I'm going to stop there. No, I know. I understand the feelings. (laughs) You're like, I can rant and I'm here for it. I'm all here for it. Yes. I think the problem is though, admitting to something that is currently illegal and how does that affect your ability to exist in certain spaces, right? Like me going into a clinical psychology field, getting something with a license that has specific limitations on exactly what kind of activity you do, then it becomes a question of like, is it safe for me Mm. to say that? And I don't know. So which is why I haven't, which is why when you asked me, I paused and I was like, Mm. so leave that one to the lawyers. Oh, certainly. No, I, I know. I, I really want to know more about your story with your depression and what that meant for you to be in the dark space because I think that talking about that, talking about what the trip actually was, more of your real genuine feelings and then how you changed to find joy is some of the like strongest stories I could ever pull in a space like this but it is very vulnerable and – Yeah, I'm totally down for it. Yeah, that's I feel very comfortable talking about that. Yeah. Then, yeah, when you were talking about that space, I wanted to ask, you know, what was it like to be there in that dark space at that time? Mm -hmm. Mm. I felt so disconnected. Mm. I felt like I had lost myself. And I was, what, 20, say 27 or 26? No, I was 26 then. Yeah, I was 26. And... This is not, you know, this is a pretty common time, I think, in mm-hmm. uh, people's lives often to feel like you're, I didn't, I didn't know where I was going. And I wasn't able to pull the dots together of all of the things that I had done and feel confident in myself in, in the direction that I was heading, even if it wasn't the clearest path. I felt Yeah, I felt I felt black and white. There was hollowness. It was like, who am I? Where did my identity go? And I had also moved to a city that was really rainy for a whole winter. And I am definitely affected by the weather. I was very thin. I was very underweight. I was 
not in a healthy place with my eating disorder mm. or my body and my health. Yeah. I, I felt like I, I would have every conversation I would have with someone else. I would like be grabbing and searching on for this like passion and zest and momentum that they had that just felt non-existent in my life. I felt like things just fell flat. And I was like, how do I even talk about myself? I felt so embarrassed to talk mm-hmm. about myself because I, I just felt like a nothingness. Like I this even just speaking a word was like taking up space. Yeah, that was what depression felt mm-hmm. like to me. It sounds incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we think about how many people are in that and are going through that, I just I am grateful for that experience now. And it's really freaking hard to see the other side when you're in it. And I'm sure an element of that comes with age and wisdom. And now that I've been there, when might that come back again? Perhaps it could. And I feel more confident in having better toolkits, better resources now that I wasn't tapping into Mm. at that moment in time. Is there anything you'd want to say to people that feel like they are in that space? And yeah. Mm. Mm. Man, that like just really I so I wanna say hold on. Mm. There will be options out there for you to make this better. You know, if whatever isn't working, look farther. Like widen the lens. Now, if we think about horses' vision, it's like here, mm-hmm. and that's all they can see. And like, just think about widening that back a little bit and expanding what might your options be. Because I've got to believe that there are there are more, and I know it because we're seeing it. We're seeing it with ketamine treatment and treatment in treatment resistant depression. You know, we're seeing it with ayahuasca and MDMA and eating disorders, and so. That's what I would want to say. I would want to say, hold on. We're working. There are many people behind this mission who are working to make this better because individuals, depression, it's not, again, it's not an individual thing. We're in a very challenged society right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like being more familiar with psychedelics and feeling the kind of what is what is called increase in in cognitive flexibility and decrease in the default mode network. Essentially what that means is that, you know, we're seeing other avenues and other routes of thinking about things. That is what has continued to open and expand my mind. And I never would have found myself in an ayahuasca ceremony had I not Mm. had other experiences leading up to that and starting to listen. Now I feel like there's this kind of common language in at least where I live. I live in Boulder. So it's hippie. People have been doing things for a long time. People have been trying different things and actually listening. And when we, when we start listening to the plants, to the spirits that are around us, I felt called to the medicine. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I, I wouldn't have been able to listen to that before because I was crowded out by the noise. You know, I, I now feel in touch through meditating with the songs of the birds and you know the whisper of the wind and the trees that are around us and these are such guiding forces that we have in our lives every day without taking any any kind of mind altering substance that can be our guides and that's how i felt called to the medicine of ayahuasca through getting in touch with altered states of consciousness and finding way more presence in life so what did it feel like to be on ayahuasca? Mm. Mm. People have lots of different kinds of journeys with the medicine. For me, she ayahuasca is also often referred to as the grandmother. She has a feminine, wise elder spirit about her. Actually, I've I've just discovered like one of the most amazing artists I ever could imagine, Luis Tamani. He um, is an ayahuasca who portrays many of the visuals that come to people, myself included, in an ayahuasca journey. That is what she feels like. She feels like this, this wise grandmother spirit who will hold 
and nourish and love you and also show very clearly what one needs to see. I didn't feel scared ever. I felt supported. I felt in a safe space and I surrendered. That is the key element of working with the medicine. Yeah, that, that was all of the, the nourishing holding that I needed to feel before I felt safe enough to let go of this eating disorder, this thing that wasn't mm. serving me anymore, that had been this protective warrior armor on me mm. for so many years. What did it mean to surrender in that moment? Mm. I mean, surrendering to, to her, to trusting this mm. great spirit and letting go, letting go of the ideas that I had about things that were going to come, letting go of any kind of control. You know, the actual experience itself, we sit in ceremony in a, in a circle with mm-hmm. about 20 other people and you each have your own space and really are encouraged to not be engaging with other people during this time. Mm-hmm. However, it is a very communal medicine because you end up hearing people, even if they're not trying to be loud, but they are in their own process of mm-hmm. tears or letting go or feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the ceremony that I sat with, there was, there always is major grief. Mm-hmm. That is what the world of plant medicines has opened me up to massively is that life is fucking hard and painful. Mm-hmm. And, we as a society have just gotten away from that and trying to comfort and cushion ourselves all around, which which has gotten away from this innate part of being human, of that like having your child pass away is the most unfathomably sad thing that could ever happen. And there were multiple people who I sat with in ceremony mm. who had lost a child. Wow. There were multiple people. I mean, just grief. And that is hard, but also allowing ourselves to be with that, to feel that level of sadness for whatever it is that we've lost, then allows us to also feel that level of joy. I'm a, I'm a part of a, um, an eating disorder support group. I've been, in, I've been involved with it for a long time. It's really wonderful. And one thing we've, we've shared in there is that you can't selectively numb, you know, like, if you're numbing yourself to numb out feelings of uncomfort and pain, you're also numbing yourself out to feeling the most joy that you can as well. And sitting with ayahuasca is like, she's going to love you. She's going to nourish you. And she's going to like strip off the layers and you're going to feel everything that, that needs to be felt. So what were you feeling in that moment then that led to you letting go of your eating disorder? Yeah. I I felt trusting. I felt like, yeah, I think I, I definitely felt the safety of the container. Mm-hmm. I felt her spirit running through me. Like the, the element of surrender truly was what existed in my body. It was like, this is not mine to hold. I'm like, just passing it over a little, like I'm, I'm trusting whatever this is that is in me right now and that is going to guide me. And, um, oftentimes in a ceremony, they will, you know, there's kind of a climax of where things become really intense and the music is louder and there's smoke in the room. And this was that moment. And I felt this knowing of like, Oh, something like very deep and something's coming up here. And I had no idea what it was. And mind you, I had gone into this ayahuasca ceremony looking for just greater, greater spiritual knowing, understanding. I completely did not set any kind of intention around my eating disorder. It wasn't even on the table because I had pretty much accepted that I would have an eating disorder for my life. Like it was just who I was. So we're at the kind of the climax of this ceremony on our, on the second, on the third night, excuse me, on our final night. And I felt this like, okay, something is coming and I'm not even really sure. I ended up purging, which is a common thing in ayahuasca. You oftentimes will throw up. And I threw up what looked like this like black, dark blob of like 
just nastiness of life. It was like the the scariest thing I'd ever seen. I thought it was like a monster that came out of my mouth mm. into a bucket. And I like shook and shivered away and was like, oh my God, what was that? I have no idea. I wanted to get as far away from it as possible because I had no idea yeah. what it was that just left my body. And it was so disgusting that I was like, I need to get up and walk to the bathroom and go clean up. And I, as I was taking these steps to walk to the bathroom, I remember I, I was, I stood there, someone was using the bathroom and I waited and it just like this, this just dawning of realization just came across me that was like, you have had an eating disorder for 15 years of your life and it, it just left now and you're okay and you're totally, you're totally okay and you're whole and you're perfect and it was a really big part of you and it's gone now. And I washed off my face, the water. And I, I just needed to cleanse myself. And I eventually went back to my spot on the ground. And I just, I felt like the most beautiful and whole that I had ever felt in my whole life. Mm. And I saw myself with this, this illness that had been with me for so long. And I also, I didn't even have any idea. I was just like in tears and surrender and honor of just seeing that this got, it was time to go. And I didn't even really know if I could, I did believe it. Mm -hmm. I did believe it in the following day and the coming 48 hours that came, but there was definitely a fear in me of like, okay, but like, couldn't this come back? Isn't, you know, like people don't just heal from their eating disorders in a night, right? Like that does that's not what happens. Yeah. And now I'm here to say that it's 10 months later And Mm. I've never felt so free in my whole life for this entire time. Mm. And I want to help other people find the freedom on the other side. Certainly. And as someone who hasn't had this lived experience, could you tell me more about the different headspaces of each so that I could kind of conceptualize how profound this shift is? Yeah. We only have so much space in our mind to just like think about daily things and creative Mm -hmm. things. And in my pie of what I spent my mental energy thinking about before Mm -hmm. this experience, way too big of the chunks of it were thinking about maintaining a slim body weight, Mm -hmm. controlling my weight, and controlling my food. Mm -hmm. And often a big part of that was then being out of control with food, feeling shame, feeling like I needed to then make up whatever happened. It, it, it took over my thoughts. And I, you know, yeah. I, I still had awesome things going on in my life, but like too little of the pie. Now mm. I called in the love of my life. My community has exploded. I am an avid reader in ways that I never have been. Like I just love learning. I love being into books. Mm. I, I love my job. I love being involved with the team that I can be in and I can be present. I can be there to enjoy the full dinner experience and having a glass right. of wine afterwards and staying and hanging for a while. Right. And what that would have been before was feeling guilt over whatever happened in the dinner, maybe staying for a while, having some kind of weirdness around what I, you know, ate and didn't eat, and then maybe even going home to binge and purge or just purge or whatever it was at whatever stage. But like, that's how not present I felt with life. And now I I feel free. That's profound. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right? And I mean, that's why you're happy, right? That's why you smile and you giggle because it is profound. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And movement in my life has just taken on a whole new shape of like, I haven't pre-decided, you know, the next seven workouts that I'm going to do and how many of which ones that I need to do in a day and do that. You know, I actually wake up and listen, what does my body need today? And there's basically always movement in that because our bodies love to move, but it's not, it feels good. It's like, ah, just, Mm. yeah, getting to grow and be into this 
body that I never actually let myself be when I decided to start controlling my food and my weight when I was 11 years old. Right. It sounds like a story of liberation. Mm. But 11 years old. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you think about – it's not surprising to me. It's really, it's really not. Why? Yeah. For me, and I actually think that a lot of women who have eating disorders – would probably fall into this category of super feelers, you know, of people who are very sensitive. I definitely was a super feeler as a child. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that many parents actually know how to fully support that. Yeah. So that's one element of it. And the other is the bullshit ideas about what women's bodies should look like that were fed from our society. Right. Especially yeah, in the nineties. Stick. Yeah. Thin. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's just not surprising. It's like it these all of these elements coming at us. Right. right. And there's always that parable of the toad in the hot water. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah, how does that one go again? If you stick like, it in for too long. If you uh, stick a toad in boiling water, it will hop out. But if you stick a toad in the lukewarm water and you turn up the dial, it will die in the water because it can't sense the changes. And I think about, you know, societal imaging from media, all these other things that, you know, so many people don't even realize that's the water we're sitting in constantly because it is just our norm. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. And then becoming conscious of it, then you start to see it everywhere. But at first, you know, especially as a child, it's really hard to recognize that water. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Especially when it's marketed really fucking well, right? Sorry, I don't know how much I should swear on this or not. Oh, you can swear every day. Right? I mean, the, the diet industry is like an 80 billion, way more than that, mm-hmm. I'm sure, dollar industry, right? And it would fail if anyone just, if, if the message was, Love your body. You're healthy and whole. <laughs> so this whole this whole thing about healthy eating is also I'm just looking at it through a fully different lens now of like why is this whole thing on healthy eating to become thin when some of the biggest problems that women are dealing with right now are infertility and are having menstrual is- hormonal issues. And women being too thin, like I mean, there are there are both there are both sides of the coin for sure. And I just I don't know the obsession with healthy eating. I don't actually is equating to health. You know, there are so many things that we need to be looking at for actual holistic health, which is how involved are you in your community? How well do you sleep? What are your relationships like? How how do you think about yourself? How are you present in this world? What are you giving back to this world? And you're definitely not able to do that if you're underweight and obsessed with making your body that way. But I mean, it's not, I feel like there's people in that space who see what you're saying and still can't get out of it, right? Like their logical brain can acknowledge, yes, this is not good for me. Yes, this is taking away from all the stuff and I still can't change. And I mean, that's where the power of something like psychedelics come in, right? Neuroplasticity, you know, changing our connections into our brain. We have these ruts where this is your, you know, path that you've trodden down so many times that it's so ingrained in your head that, you know, something like a psychedelic, who, which does create new pathways, connection could just have you see your whole life in a different way. And it's interesting, though, because hearing your story do you feel like that was something that you made meaning of? Do you feel like this connects to a higher spiritual being? You referred to Mother Nature, and I guess I'm curious about where your spirituality might be playing into this level of healing as well. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like my my biggest my spirituality comes from Mother Earth and mm. everything that she provides for us. You know, and these plant medicines that we're talking about come from mother earth and what she provides for us (laughs) so i i feel like it's all there it's not that hard yeah i mean it's just once i started listening and recognizing and yeah i mean that the spirit element of mind body spirit has taken on a whole new you know a whole new life shape and form for me for sure and 
I think it's worth saying more because a lot of people who are not in your community are going to hear you and say, what? And even some like me, right, fully supportive of psychedelics in this space, I'm not sure if I believe in a positive sense of mother nature. I'm not sure if I don't know. This could all be just like literal utter chaos that is chance and we're here. And I'm not sure if I believe in a holistic good that just genuinely exists. So you say that. And I, I do want to hear even more about what this means to you because those are just words that not everyone has context to what you feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Because this is, this is all key to the integration of what that moment was for you when you looked into your, you know, pile there of just disgusting and how this led into you changing. Yeah. I do feel like that the plant spirits can speak for themselves. Yeah, I I actually don't even know of any words that I could say about their messages. Um, And I fully, I'm like, holy shit, yeah, she's right. I, you know, I am in my own world of this. And (laughs) and that's also okay, too. But I do know that the earth, um, she definitely needs our help right now. You know, she's given a lot to us as a species and we have done a lot of damage but I do I find my my -hmm. biggest spirit in in listening and being in nature our the earth that we live on is literally the most amazing thing Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) and I don't know to me it just it I I definitely know that when I was disconnected and and -hmm. living in a more fast life and I wasn't actually tuning in to nature I was missing that yeah so maybe I haven't tuned in um I definitely did not mean to say that you no, were I'm in a in a place like I, no no for sure but also asking because I'm like what if right what what if there is this deeper joy that I could find even in what you say personally because I'm curious how did you learn to tune in then because I, maybe I'm just not even conscious of it well let's like take the little plant that's behind you for example Knowing you're feeding it water, probably, right? Some sunshine, maybe. Are you do you ever talk to it? No. Did you ever see that study about like positive energy on the glass of water? Yes. Yeah. So maybe do you think that it might be a little bit healthier, happier if you spoke to it or gave it some positive energy? I believe in that. I believe in that the energy that we put out mm-hmm. also comes back to us. Uh, what is the bubble that we're living in? And if we treat others from that place of joy and love and gratitude, it's it makes for happier plants in my house, at least. Mm. <laughs> so would you say that like every time someone takes a psychedelic, they're hearing from Mother Nature or it does take that level of receptiveness and energy of putting out to get it back? Mm, mm. Is nature, yeah, is nature always speaking to us? What is how, yeah, how do you conceptualize well, this? Well, have lots of different experiences in psychedelic, yeah. you know, in psychedelic experiences. So I'm definitely not going to, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying like a blanket statement about what everyone <laughs> will have happen because lots of people have lots of different blocks up mm-hmm. and having the right practitioner who you're working with, having the right yeah. set and setting, i.e. Mm-hmm. mindset and the space mm-hmm. that you're in, all of these things contribute. I will say that for most people who I know who are mm-hmm. involved in the psychedelic space, there is an element of interconnectedness with. Oh yeah. Okay, great. So that one landed. Of like inter, <gasps> if interconnectedness is Oof. all beings, that includes yeah. all beings, as in the plants and the animals. For sure, yeah. I yeah, I'm just like so scared to put my belief in any higher power of goodness. I think post-Christianity, I believed in something so fundamental that like didn't exist and I'm always kind of a little bit skeptical to believe in like a profound sense of goodness that isn't demonstrated to me necessarily. Not necessarily nihilistic in any sort of way, like everything's pointless. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when I take psychedelics, I feel deeply connected to everybody. I feel connected to my, you know, life and I feel grounded and centered. I guess I'm just like curious, is that my mental headspace of learning to become one and calm with myself versus, you know, mother nature? And two, like maybe it doesn't even matter. Like I think the the important part is how we integrate it, change it. And so I think like I'm so resonating with you. I'm just so also intrigued by what your spirituality is because 
like a religion that maybe I've never practiced, I think everyone has a different connection. So that's why I'm like, ooh, tell me about, you know, you wouldn't use the word God, but Mother Nature, that's unique to you. And like trying to understand like, yeah, like, and I think everyone would have a different connection with it. I just, but I just, I don't know. I don't believe in fundamental goodness. I'm maybe a little bit of a like skeptical, skeptical given like the amount of pain that we have in the world. Mm. Is fundamental goodness, that sounds kind of like, is that a Christianity thing about he's fundamental? Oh, I just meant in the world, I don't think I, – I do just think we are here. I don't think that there is a necessarily inherently good energy out there that exists that is like helping us guide through things. I think we are literally just here in this existence. I think that nature exists. I am nature. And so what I feel is nature, what you feel is nature, what the trees, plants feel, all that is nature, yes. But I don't – just in the same way that I don't believe in a god that is – you know, Christian, whatever, blah. I don't believe in that existing power in the plants. Mm, mm. I did watch the fantastic, um, was it Fantastic Fungi with Paul Stamets? Yeah, pretty magical there. I mean, what they were talking about and that of fungi being the connection, I mean, one of the psychedelics, right? Being the connection between trees and them sharing resources when they're in times of need. Those sorts of things make me say, ooh, nature is good and kind. Did you watch it? Mm-hmm. And so like even, yeah, in this conversation, pushing back on myself, like how do I conceptualize that into my negative sense of the existence of the world? I don't know. Because they're – I mean, trees are sharing resources and we know that. And so how do we reconceptualize that for people like myself and people who haven't even seen this sort of stuff to understand what it means to exist in our space and our world and what our world is actually telling us? Yeah. This is really – I'm loving this. I'm loving hearing <laughs> your perspective. It's so enlightening because I have, I've clearly gone pretty deep in mm. like working with plants. You know, my, yeah. my love is an herbalist and a Chinese yeah. medicine practitioner. So he has learned a lot about a lot of plants and, um, you know, you caught the drift with, with the mycelium and that's one because they're mushrooms right. and there are like tons of them and there's so many different kinds and it's incredible. Right. And there are lots of amazing plants and, you know, maybe at some point in, in deepening your own relationship there, then kind of this like woo woo shit that I'm talking about plant spirits might make a little more sense. I wanted to, I want to believe in what I'm hearing, but I also like, how do I not know that that's just another faith structure of people much like Christianity or anything else? Mm. Mm. And I, I guess, and for the concept of how much of my life I placed in a th- thought-based structure that didn't have any proof. Mm -hmm. I'm so hesitant now to start believing in those sorts of things because I, I mean, and placebo effects are very real and all those sorts of things. For me, it's so hard to like have just a good genuine faith. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And that makes sense from where you came from and the challenge that you've endured. And it might be years before even, you know, becoming closer to opening up to that. And maybe not. Maybe this is the perfect spirituality for you, which is in the existence of what things are, face value, how they, I've found what works for me because Mm -hmm. it gives me hope that we will come together as a community and and showing up in better ways because I've seen it happen with myself and with many others. Yeah, definitely. So is your hope for humanity then that we do more psychedelics and reach this more collective space of, yeah, what is your goal? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure if I've made the whole plan for humanity yet. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goal in working with women with eating disorders is that I want to help them find oh. freedom on the other side of it because I fully understand mm. what it feels like to be in it and mm. to be out of it. And I think there are a lot of different ways out and I found something that worked for me, but I think there are, there are a number of different ways out and no, no, potentially not everyone is going to need to do a psychedelic and psychedelics will have different effects on different people. And I've known plenty of people who have gone and sat with ayahuasca and still have their eating disorder. It's not like we get to program into the medicine at this point in time okay, like let's let this person leave their eating disorder behind. You know, that's, that's not really how they work. I think, I think the plants and the spirits are working on their time, but that is my hope because 
there we need women in the world who are full of their fierceness and their power and their yeah. boldness and mm. not being just like dampened down by this bullshit that is yeah. not no their real yeah. essence mm. so do you believe in the power of setting intentions before a psychedelic trip you know, it's really interesting. That is something I've been doing a lot of thinking on lately yeah. because it's a really important part of a lot of people's protocol. Because, okay, so here's – I'm going to get a little pushy. So here's the yes. things. I think what I'm hearing when you say like, oh, I you can't control what the plant medicine is going to tell you, there's a lack of autonomy in that situation that the spirits need to speak to you versus the other way of I'm going to set an intention for the psychedelic practice. I want to come in – letting go of my eating disorder and that is my intent and I will go in and utilize the drug to get what I want out of it and have autonomy in it which are two very different states mm. and one involves spirituality of trusting right plant medicine what we talked about and I think I I wonder are you losing your autonomy in that faith because I think that if someone came in with the intention of doing that and really did the integration work afterwards, I think that they could do that sort of thing. Mm. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, that would be, that would be great. That would almost be like a little too easy. <laughs> do, do you think so? Genuinely? I, I don't feel like I lost my autonomy mm. at all. Mm. The, the parts of me that were not shaped by trauma and by what I now see as these societally constructed ideas about who I needed to be like the real me stayed here this whole time so that's why I, I believe and I feel yeah. in in alignment that it's okay to lean on the other resources that we have available and not pretend that I'm I'm fully in the driver's seat that I know all for sure I guess my question then so when someone takes a psychedelic and doesn't have this profound switch where they let go of their eating disorder, then is Mother Nature saying that it's not time for them to let go of their disorder? Maybe there are other places to look. Or maybe the integration. Maybe there's going to be something there. There can be so many subtle messages. You know, one one profound experience that happened to someone who was sitting in the group that I was with in our ayahuasca group yeah. was that for an entire night of ceremony, she felt numbness. And it was like, come on, like, I want to feel, I want to feel, like, how am I? And the message from the medicine, ultimately, the following night was that she had been numbing, or maybe, maybe, the, maybe the realization for her came that night. She had been numbing for years. She had been numbing herself. So this was the medicine showing her that. You know, when we, that's why this practice of integration is so important. There are integration specialists, people out there who are specializing in taking someone's psychedelic experience and helping them understand what happened here. And it can take people years to understand mm -hmm. that. So I think that an intention of going in with an open mind, of staying with our breath, you know, I think that intentions can be can be definitely helpful for for then accepting the toolkit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's kind of like going to if you were to go to the North End in Boston, right? And like go to the best Italian restaurant, you wouldn't then be like, actually I want you to make the pasta this way. You'd be like, no, I meant like the richest, you know, the like, you know, this is the experience. I'm gonna like hand over the keys and you're gonna take me and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna do the thing that you do. So no, I'm I'm not gonna set an intention and try and control a psychedelic experience into what my like conscious thinking brain is think you know is thinking about this we live in our brains and our heads way too much right now that that is how we've become disconnected from listening to what else is happening out there yeah definitely i guess maybe my questions come from a place of jealousy right i struggle with a mental health disorder why haven't i been healed mm. nature hasn't chosen me to let it go or or maybe I'm not integrating, right? Like then your anxiety brain turns on you and it's like, ooh, you have experience with psychedelics. Why have they not healed yourself? Hmm. I'm, as in me, I'm saying, right? Like if I've taken them, I reflect. It feels like you're not chosen, like in this Calvinistic sense, like mother nature hasn't chosen you to 
be let go and and you were and that's beautiful that you were and I'm so happy for you and it's like what about us Mm. um thank you for sharing that and I I didn't know that that was the perspective you were coming with yeah I don't think I knew either until I'm like oh why am I here over here asking these questions right and then you like take that stuff you're like "Mm, it feels unfair Mm. do you feel like you've had the integration support I don't know. I don't even know. Right. I don't even know. I mean, I go to therapy weekly. I mean, I talk about it in there. And I think that people hearing you who might equally be in this place of still struggling, still struggling with their eating disorder, having done psychedelics or other mental health things might hear you and say, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And so I want to speak to those people as well. Because and I think that's why I'm pushing about mother nature. Like, is it you or is it are we capable? Okay. well, one thing that I feel like is missing here is that the key to my healing after letting go of my eating disorder, after fully surrendering. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's a big, a big element of it, of people who aren't having any success with Mm -hmm. trying psychedelics. What are you blocking? What are you holding up? What are you trying to control in the situation would be one thing. Second was that integration is 99% of the work and it was for me. And that's not easy and it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. over a weekend And it's an Mm. everyday kind of thing. And it's been a focus of my life. But I had the opportunity to do it. And I did make Mm. it a focus because Mm. I have experience in this space and I know how important integration Mm. is. I didn't let myself Mm. just have this psychedelic experience and then let it go and then be like, oh, I once had a psychedelic experience a few months ago. And then like I thought, no, like it has been for every single day following my ayahuasca experience. I journaled my daily intentions for how am I going to stay with this with this mm-hmm. every day. I had a plan. I mm-hmm. drank tea mm-hmm. and I set those intentions and that was mm-hmm. my integration and staying with it over the months. So yeah. there are so many outlets and I understand right now that we don't have a completely well-informed society about how to work with psychedelics and there's so much more to learn and I would invite you to consider I don't think that it's no that you're not the chosen one for getting to be free from a mental illness. I think there are more toolkits. There are more resources here. And what could a full, you know, what could those look like for you? That's what I mean when I shared to the people who might still be in their depression, look the lens a little farther. The resources of journaling Is there any other that you would recommend for people since they're not widespread right now, but you have lived experience with it that you would recommend? Meditation. Okay. What does that, what does that look like? Um, Meditation for me looks like sitting Mm. in silence and presence Mm. and with my breath every day. It helps me live better in my life. In meditating, Mm. I am able to stay with the medicine also. And that's how... We don't need to go and have a psychedelic experience every single weekend. Mm. That's how we can have these profound experiences and then stay with them, bring them back into our daily life. What was the lesson in that little moment? How can I still be with it instead of forgetting about it? Mm -hmm. Sitting with tea, that's been a huge one. My journal practice, moving in my body Mm. just in new ways reminds me of the medicine yeah. So it's it sounds like it's a lot of that integration piece of sitting with yourself and making meaning yeah. of what experience what you experienced and then holding on to that. Fully. And that's why I don't necessarily think that like with eating disorder recovery, for some women, it might not be ayahuasca, but we know at least I feel like I know now these new ways to get to live you know, with, with the messages and that I hope can communicate it. And you're doing the work to make that more of a reality. So thank you. Mm. Sometimes the people who are doing the hard work and the labor of making, you know, that change are not recognized, you know, and one day when this is changing so much of society's mental health, maybe years beyond when we're on this earth, Mm. it was people like you who were doing the groundwork to get that research, to make that happen. So thank you. Mm. Thanks. Thank you for saying that. 
I know it probably doesn't feel like that every day. <laughs> I know. But right, but right when, you know, years, years later, when this is just your normal thing that you do is your mental health, it would have, it will have been people like you that were doing the hard work to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely hope for a better, a better, I mean, I guess my like world goal is, is a place where, you know, we have fully realized that we are not meant to live as individuals in this society. We are social collective beings. Exactly. Then it won't be the one person who is dealing with their depression. If we were a part of a tribe, that would never happen. Exactly. Which is why I should ask you the question I ask everybody on the podcast is what is one thing you wish other people understood was more normal? And it could be whatever you want, but I feel like what you're talking about is our need for community. So much of our society says you need to be individualistic, individualistic, and yet, exactly. But also, you you take the space. If you want to say something else, I always leave this as something for people. Just No, that's pretty amazing. That's a good one. It's (laughs) it's so, I mean, it's fully. The question of what do I think everybody needs to know is normal. If we think about just so many of challenges, but also of our mental health challenges right now of what's happening. It would mothers, if we look at mothers and babies right now in our society and how it's so hard for them, if the mom is working at all, it's damn near impossible. They're insanely sleep deprived more than we could ever even imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, the baby is then challenged with some kind of attachment of like, why is my mom not holding me? I'm a baby. I want to be held. She's on her computer. What's happening there? You know, if, if we were working, if we were living in a, in a tribe of people, there would be aunties and uncles and people watching this baby all the time, right? Like our society was not built for us to be, yeah, for us really to, to thrive in our like humanness and how we no. Need to be together in the collective, supporting each other. And I, when we come together and we're not so isolated, whoever might be facing the the ebb in that moment, then can feel more supportive, more supported. Excuse me. And the people you know who are hearing your story today and are resonating with you will not feel alone, mm. which in and of itself is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing this. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.